0: Thank you so much for tuning into the logs. Coming up, episode 5, Roman the Empire. there was a crisis in the roman empire 50 years of civil war invasion plague and economic downturn weakened the empire from the years 235 a.d to 284 the people of the roman empire saw dozens of emperors rise to the stage and dozens fall And at the very beginning of this struggle, in the year 238, there may have been a hero. A person rose to be emperor, chosen by the Senate as the person to save the empire. And on April 22nd of that year, 238, he took reign. His name, Pupianus, Pupianus Maximus. He was to save the empire, reestablish order, for he was Marcus, Claudius, Pupianus, Maximus, Augustus. So he took hold of the Empire, and for three months and seven days he ruled as co emperor, and on that seventh day of the fourth month, it was july twenty ninth, two hundred thirty six, he was assassinated by his own guards, and that was the end of Pupianus. But it was not the end of the Roman Empire, because after 238, dozens more emperors came into play, and by the year 284, they kind of stabilized a bit. And you got to feel bad for Poopy you know, he, he had a badass name for one, and he wasn't alive, he wasn't emperor long enough to make any impact. A lot of his history is kind of gone to history. And for anybody that thinks I'm making this up, I'm not. There is a guy named Pupienus. It's spelled P-U-P-I-E-N-U-S. But it's Latin, so it probably means something else. And he usually went by the name Maximus anyway. And our story is not really going to focus on him. Because we just jumped in fairly late in a story that spans centuries. In a Roman story that's very interesting to unpack. Because the Roman Empire is something new. It's constantly evolving, but still keeping to tradition, because Rome challenges what a civilization could be. If we look to history before Rome, to some of the greatest civilizations that existed, like those in Egypt and Greece, we look to the things that are left, to the great temples of mainland Greece, and to the great pyramids at Giza, And when we compare those to the things that the Romans left behind, they're strangely so different. Look to the pyramids at Giza, or look to the Parthenon at Greece. And when you look at those, those temples, those are for either one guy, the pharaoh of Egypt, or to a god. Now look at the Roman Colosseum. That wasn't meant for one guy. That was meant so a bunch of people can get together and, you know, watch people kill each other. But it was meant for people and look at the roman roadways those were meant for people and the aqueducts meant for people and the walls meant to protect people and the ports meant to funnel goods on the seaways into the city rome became a civilization about the people that live within it because that's where their mind was at on civic duty civic architecture on things that actually work for something not just look pretty And on this episode, I want to explore that. I want to explore how Roman architecture works for people. And I want to explore the mindset that caused those things to be built. And I want to explore how those things are built. And maybe we'll learn a little bit about why civic architecture is so important, how infrastructure is important, and how infrastructure can help you rule the world. And for this episode, I want to thank my professor, Dr. Andrew Donnelly, for just making history awesome. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And I hope we can learn a little bit about how we use our infrastructure and how that impacts us and our lives. So we begin with a Roman story. It's a story that can go as far back as the Trojan War, a story that can span time even before Rome was a thought. But we're going to start it with Romulus after killing his brother Remus he established Rome in 753 BC, and he made himself the first king. He would be the first of seven kings to rule the city of Rome. But actually, at this point, it would be wrong to call Rome a city. Rome was a village. Rome was a couple of huts on top of a hill, and the area around Rome was swampy grassland, land that had to be tilled and drained for use. The Romans would have to drain the swamp to create their city. And there's a good little bit of foreshadowing, you, Because at this point, it was just modest homes. Homes made out of straw and mud. Little huts, basically. Huts hobbled together on top of the hill where Romulus established Rome. At this point in history, Rome was just that, a village. Overshadowed by the people to the north and the people to the south. Those in the north, between the Arno and the Tiber rivers, were the Etruscans a very ancient, indigenous, Italian group. And they ruled over the central Italian power called Etruria. And at many points in history, Rome became part of Etruria It became Etruscan territory. And the Etruscans were very good builders and very good metal workers. And they taught the Romans what they knew. Essentially, they built up early Rome. And to the south, in southern Italy and in Sicily, was Magna Graecia, greater greece thousands upon thousands of greek colonists from the mainland established greek colonies there these include cities that are still here in the modern day cities like neapolis which is now naples and syracuse and the romans drew influence from the greeks and things like their religion the roman pantheon of gods is very similar strikingly similar to those of the greeks myths like hercules were very important in early rome because their young civilization didn't have many stories to tell. So these early Romans felt extreme pressure and extreme influence from these civilizations to their north and to their south. But the Romans did not shoo their influence away. They took those stories and the knowledge of these old and grained civilizations and incorporated them into their own. They created new traditions from these very old things and new stories, new stories to tell. And this is especially evident in their architecture. Much of Roman architecture will visibly show signs of Etruscan and Greek influence. So this was early Rome. This was the Roman kingdom. It was as if Rome was a young baby, a child learning from its parents, learning the old ways, but changing them to the new world, to what would soon be a Roman world. But last we left our story was with Romulus. Now we're picking it back up after the seventh king, the last king. Of Rome. This last king, Tarquinius Superbus, would begin a construction project that would see Rome grow, would see Rome begin to spark. Tarquinius Superbus began a construction project on the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus. And you know, I'm sorry, I can't help it. You know, when you say words like Optimus or Maximus, they need to be said with force, right? You know, they have to have some Oomph behind it. And this temple did have some oomph behind it. It was the biggest temple that Rome has ever seen, that they have ever set foot to make. And it was dedicated to the god of gods, the king god Jupiter. And it would be dedicated soon, upon its completion, to something extremely Roman. But Tarquinius would never see this construction project completed, because in the year 509 he was overthrown by a man named Lucius. Junius Brutus, who gathered the noblemen, the patricians, and the plebeians of the city, the common people, to overthrow the king, the last king of Rome. And after this last king was overthrown, Rome was finally free. The people wanted representation. It was their will that led to the creation of the Roman Republic. And this republic was established so that no king would ever rise again, and so that each Roman was represented in their government, and to commemorate this victory, this victory of the Roman people, upon completion of the Temple of Jupiter, they dedicated, of course to Jupiter, but they dedicated the Temple to the Roman Republic, so that Jupiter would watch over it, and allow it to stay strong for a thousand years. The victors of the revolution against the king created something called the Senate, which translates to a Council of Elders, And these people had the job of maintaining Rome. And at that time, Rome was a city on a hill, founded by Romulus and Remus on the Palatine Hill, one of the seven hills of Rome. The city was nothing more than that. But after the Republic was established, Rome got very organized. The Senate created the office of the magistrate. And these magistrates, or civil officers, were the ones that presided over civil law and religion and the military. It created the roman legions and slowly rome started to conquer its neighbors to the north and to the south and remember these were the etruscans in the north and the greeks in the south these were very established civilizations but with the roman will they did so rome functioned under the motto of senatus populus Romanus, spqr the senate and the people of rome And the military did so too. They fought for the people and for the Senate. For what Rome was. A government that represented the people. And fought for the people. And so the Romans conquered these lands. And they move on to do more. To conquer more lands and bring their ideals to the people of these lands. So they conquered areas of Iberia, which is now modern day Spain and Portugal. And they conquered northern Africa, namely Carthage fighting great wars with the Carthaginians, and winning. And it was a little ironic, maybe even hypocritical, because the Roman Republic was under constant war. They fought wars to conquer people, because they felt that their way of life was the best way of life. They felt that the world was a Roman world, and it was up to the Romans to take it, to take it back from these people, and to show the Roman way of life. And Rome's organization and their military prowess helped them do that. They were so good at it. They conquered lands all around the Mediterranean, defeating everyone they came up against. Only one time in this republic's history was it actually attacked. Rome had been in constant conflict with the Gauls, which were tribal people from what is now modern-day France. And now this is a great story of what happened to Rome. In 390 BC, a Gaul by the name of Brennus gathered his people and marched to the city of Rome. And he sacked Rome, and he had it in the cusp of his hand. And the Romans, with nothing else to do, said, We'll pay you ransom for the city. What do you want for the city of Rome? And Brennus said, A thousand pounds of gold. And the Romans agreed. And this next part is the famous part of the story, in which the Gauls provided the steel to balance the weight on the scales, so the Romans could weigh out a thousand pounds of their gold. And you know how it go. The Romans would keep putting more and more gold on the other side of the scale to eventually balance it out and get a thousand pounds. And in the middle of this, one Roman nobleman emerges from the crowd, and he kind of gets in the center there where the scales were. And he calls out, hey, wait, that's unfair. You've rigged the scales. You've put way more than a thousand pounds on the other side. And Brennus walks up to the man and the scales there in the center of the city of Rome. And he pulls out his mighty long sword, and he tosses it onto the scale and says Vi Victus, woe to the vanquished. Basically telling that nobleman, I won, I call the shots. You pay me. And after that, something in the Roman psyche snapped. They would never let that happen again. They labeled the Gauls barbarians, and instead of only working to spread their cause, to spread their ideals they worked actively to keep their people safe through conquest of foreign lands and at home in rome itching to never have that happen again the romans erected the servian wall around the city around the great hills of rome and with this piece of infrastructure the traditional etruscan hard-working very craftsmanlike abilities are shown the romans use a building technique called ashlar masonry when they build this wall they create it from massive blocks of stone there's no cement no mortar the only thing keeping this together is the weight of those stones and after they stabilized their capital the romans continued to build and to expand from within at this time during the republic temples were smaller much smaller than the temple of jupiter optimus maximus Temples were usually funded by people or by families, rich families, so they were always more communal and focused. If a family got rich from shipping, they would build a temple to the god of the sea for good fortune for shipping, and the whole experience was very communal because these shipping families employed people, the common people. These small temples were places of worship for all those people, and they were modest, adhering to the Roman principles of community and civic duty. And one of the largest of these civic projects was the Porticus Amelia. It was funded by the very rich Amelia family for the people of Rome. Sadly, most of it has gone to history. But through computer reconstructions, we can see how this dock allowed for the easy transfer of goods off the Tiber River and into the city of Rome. But before we can move on to that, we have to talk about what is arguably the greatest Roman invention. The only reason this large warehouse And the only reason all the other large-scale buildings that will be built in the Roman Empire, the only reason they exist, is because of the invention of bricks. Bricks and concrete. Bricks completely changed the game when it came to construction. Because now, it was possible to make the building material anywhere. And you can mass produce it. Since clay was clay. And clay is everywhere. Now, you don't have to lug massive stones from the mountains into your city, and onto the land that you're building on. Brick was light. It can be made into anything. It can be built into tall columns. It can make a wall. It can make arches. And arches were the reason why the Porticus Amelia worked. Because the whole building is set up against a riverbed. And it kind of touches the water and inclines from there until it reaches the road. And it's built in a stepwise fashion. So the lowest step is at the riverbed. And then it goes step by step, by step, by step, up to the street. And what the arches allow you to do is to lift up the roof and curve it to make large vaultways, large tunnels from the river up to the street. So the Porticus Amelia is very efficient in getting goods into the city. And these vaulted archways also allow for more light to get into the building. And what natural light entering the building means is that you don't have to use torches to light the path. And torches are very dangerous when they're set next to flammable goods, goods that you've received from all around the Roman world. So these are the kind of projects that families like the Amelia family underwent, projects for the common good, because these helped all Romans, because they funneled more goods into Roman streets, Roman streets that were winding through the city, Roman streets that connected one part of Rome to the other. And this is where we can enter Roman city planning, because Rome had been organically grown from the Palatine Hill, spreading throughout the little base of the seven hills that Rome sits in. But when it came to Roman colonies, cities like Ostia and Pompeii, they were began a little different. When it began to that construction, the whole city was constructed under a plan called the Hippodamian grid pattern. Hippodamus of the city of Melitus, was thought to have been the originator, the creator of this plan, of this Hippodamian grid pattern that set streets at 90-degree angles and made boxes very similar to our cities now. You can look at a map of Chicago or of New York, and you can get the idea of how the Roman city was built. But it may have been much earlier than him. He might have just been the one to write it down. Whatever it was, the Romans very much enjoyed that grid pattern. To Hippodamus, the grid pattern... Was very orderly. It brought everybody closer together spiritually because all the streets were at 90 degree angles and places were very visible from one end to the other. For the Romans, this was the most efficient way to build the city. When Romans started up a city, they set two roads the Cardo, which ran north to south, and the Decumanus, which ran east to west. And at the intersection of these roads was the Roman Forum, which was the head of all business and communal affairs. And all other streets. Went off these main ones and made little boxes where apartment buildings or businesses or homes were built. These little boxes inside were called insuli, basically little islands where you could build things. And at the center of that city, in the Roman Forum, you had this large space where people could come and gather. In the Roman Forum, there was a temple at one end to the god, the god of the city, the god the city was dedicated to. And there was a portico around the perimeter of this very open air space. The portico gave businesses places to hold their goods and their services in the forum there were also bathhouses that were very important in the roman world because the bathhouses were where you would go to get bathed and to exercise and to chat with other romans chat about the daily affairs of the roman world and as the republic matured these affairs became more and more about expansion the roman people had defeated the carthaginians another main power in the mediterranean they had conquered greece and they spread their empire from Spain to North Africa to Turkey, and they became the dominant force in the west. And many of these conquests came later and later in the Roman Republic, near its end. And that end begins with a man named Julius Caesar. Caesar had been serving as governor of the Roman province of Gaul, and Caesar had been making many strides there. He was a very great general leading the Roman legions in Gaul, and he had exerted roman influence over the gaulish people and it became also very popular back in rome because the romans didn't have a very short memory they remembered what the gauls did at the beginning of the roman republic and the guy that could stop them from ever doing it again was the guy worth getting behind and this was also compounded by the fact that romans loved people that gained more land for rome victorious roman generals were celebrated in the city the Romans held something called a triumph for the legions and for the generals that have won more land for Rome. A triumph was basically a procession through the city where the citizens of Rome applauded and cheered for the people, the legions and the generals, and where the generals showed all the loot that they had gathered from those other peoples, the foreign peoples that they've conquered. And Caesar was one of these powerful generals, these very popular generals, And he also knew that he was good at being a general. So after he served his time as governor to the Roman Gaul, he returned to Italy. But he brought his army with him. And the Senate told him to disband the army. But Caesar did not. And the soldiers listened to Caesar. Because especially on these fronts where you're constantly fighting enemies, you adhere to what the general is saying. And when he's a general like Caesar, who makes the right calls, you treat him like a king. And this does not bode well for the Republic, because the Senate ordered Caesar to disband his troops, return to Rome by himself, and he'll be dealt with in a court of law. But Caesar didn't listen. Have you ever heard the saying, the crossing of the Rubicon? The Rubicon River is a river between Gaul and Italy. Caesar crossed the Rubicon River against the will of the Senate in the year 49 BC and marched into Rome, starting a Roman civil war. And Caesar brings his army into the city, and the Senate scrambles to get some men together to fight Caesar. It's all for naught. His armies are too strong, too griddled by war, and he wins. He made himself dictator of the city of Rome, and he underwent a lot of reforms in the city to relieve some of the debt that they had incurred from their previous wars, and their constantly ongoing wars, And he made reforms to the Senate, making it larger. And he built public works for the city, which would become a tradition in imperial Rome. And of course, he also made a little change to the calendar, making uh, July a month. And the dictator position in the Roman Republic was a thing. But it was supposed to be a temporary position. A person could be made dictator of Rome when it was entirely necessary. When all the power needed to be diverted to one man. So quick decisions could be made for the safety of the people of Rome. Because sometimes, and I think uh, we're well versed in this, the Senate is very slow to act. And when that situation was over, it was expected of that person to give the power back to the citizens of Rome. And that was one of the greatest things you can do for the city of Rome. One of the most respected things that you can do. But Caesar didn't give that power back. And it got some senators very angry since Caesar was building things like the Forum of Caesar near the main forum where the senators gathered. And in that forum, he put a temple to himself. And on occasion, he would ask the senators to meet him at this temple. And the senators thought, this guy's getting out of hand. We're going to lose all our power. The people enjoy him, but he'll ruin Rome. So a senator by the name of Brutus, I don't know if you've read Shakespeare, or I don't know if you We're paying attention to the beginning of this history lesson. That's right, Lucius, Junius Brutus, is an ancestor of Brutus. And Brutus, along with Cassius and a bunch of other Roman senators, took it upon themselves to rid the Republic of this plague. Because as they understood it, the Republic of Rome stood for representation and for the people. Not for one guy, not for a king. So they assassinated Julius Caesar. And for a moment it looked like the Republic was back. But another guy came to the stage, Octavian, who would come to be known as Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. When he rose to power after Julius Caesar, there were still a lot of civil wars going on throughout the empire. And Augustus only finished off the final nail in the coffin of the Republic when he defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra. He not only defeated them on the battlefield. But he labeled Mark Antony a traitor to Roman customs because he went with Cleopatra, an Egyptian. He launched propaganda campaigns against him. Not unlike what politicians do nowadays. It's like those commercials. Do you trust Mark Antony? He says he'll fight for you. But your taxes go right to Egypt. This message has been approved by Octavius. And Octavius was brilliant at public relations. So eventually he defeated Mark Antony. And Octavius took on the title of Augustus, given to him by the Senate. And he became the sole ruler of Rome. He became the emperor. He was now the guy calling all the shots. And he was so good at it. He went by many titles, like Princeps Senatus, the first man of the Senate. Or Princeps Civitatus, first citizen of the state. His favorite was Pontifex Maximus, or Greatest Priest. In Latin, it translates to the greatest bridge builder. So he became the leader of the state religion. And now the title of Pontifex Maximus is used to identify the Pope, the Pope of the Catholic Church. And Augustus embraced these titles. He was all about working with people and making friends. He turned what could have been an oppressive imperial office into a guy that worked for the people, into a guy the people could. Have a beer with, you know, into a Roman. He worked for the people of Rome, not unlike how the Republic functioned. He turned Caesar into a martyr for what was, and he built things. He completed the Forum of Caesar in his image, and he dedicated it to Caesar, who was now a demigod. And then he did more. He built his own Forum. He constructed baths. He constructed basilicas, which are government buildings, and he invested into the city and into the common good. He made his image known, known as a good person, as a person working for you. And suddenly, this new empire didn't taste so bad in the mouths of the Roman citizens, the citizens so used to republic rule, to no king. But imperial rule now brought peace to Rome. After Augustus steps up, we see a peace called the Pax Augusta. There were no wars, and as the empire grew, we saw Pax Romana. The Roman people had exerted their force around most of the Mediterranean and Europe. And there was finally a peace that the Romans never saw in the Republic. What this peace allowed for was investment in Rome and around the empire. Investment in the citizens. And some of the greatest forms of investment were aqueducts and bathhouses. Like we mentioned earlier, bathhouses were in the Roman forums, And they were critically important to Roman life. And when a new emperor would step up to the throne, There was a good chance they were going to build a bathhouse because building it brought goodwill from the eyes of the Roman citizens. One of the most beautiful and most influential bathhouses was built later in the Roman Empire by Emperor Caracalla. And this was around 212 AD when the baths of Caracalla were constructed. And inside these baths you can see using brick you can make such great pieces of architecture. The center of these baths featured a massive open space that lifted up into the sky and then arched across and met at the middle, all lined with marble and gold from all around the empire. And the inner portion, the inner room, the main room where people came to meet and to go about their daily business, this room inspired things like Union Station or Grand Central Station in New York. If you look at images online, they're not very different. Except for the art, and for the fact that those two are train stations versus a bathhouse. But you can see this influential Roman ideal when it comes to architecture. When it comes to aqueducts, those were all over. The city of Rome itself had 11, which allowed it to grow to a population of 1 million people. But there were other aqueducts all over the empire, like in France, the Pont du Gard, or in Segovia, Spain. You can still see them standing today. And these were insane pieces of construction, because they had to be built with the smallest degree of decline from the water source to wherever you were going. Sometimes they cut through mountains, and when they did cut through mountains, the Romans would put shafts all the way to the top of the mountain so that air can come in and freshen up the water. These were very involved public works projects that allowed the citizens of Rome to live at a quality of life unseen of it at that point in time. There's a funny quote from the monty python movie life of brian where a guy says quote, apart from sanitation the medicine education wine public order roads the fresh water system and public health what have the romans given us and it's so awe-inspiring to see all the great that came from roman civic duty of working for the community because much of the community was at that working class earlier we mentioned the colony of ostia Ostia is actually the port city of Rome, so it's not that far away. It's down the Tiber River, and most of the goods that came in from the sea came into Ostia, and they were processed and then sent into Rome. And Ostia was full of blue-collar workers working for a wage for their family, maybe to make it big. And Ostia was full of apartment buildings, not large-scale palaces, apartments. And an example of this is the insula of Diana. And insula, earlier, remember we said there. The boxes in between the streets in a Hippodamian grid pattern. Well, they're also apartment buildings. there I guess, the word functions for both. And this insula of Diana featured about three to five floors. The first floor was probably the best floor because you didn't have to climb all the stairs. and You usually had the bigger rooms. So as you went up, you kind of had smaller rooms, more tight quarters. And they were cheaper options for working class people. The insula of Diana featured exposed brickwork on the exterior. There wasn't anything fancy like marble or gold. It was just brick. It was very hardy. And on the facade, there were ledges. And those ledges were where the Roman firefighters would hook on ladders just in case they needed to rescue anybody and put on any fires. Because there were Roman firefighters and police forces and everything you'd expect from a modern-day city. At the center of every floor, there was usually a common cooking area because you wouldn't really cook in your room. So people would gather there, and you see this... Communal experience again. But most Romans wouldn't even cook at home. This next thing is kind of awesome. There were things called thermopoliums, which is something like a cook shop. The word actually translates to a place where something hot is sold. Ladies and gentlemen, these were Roman takeout spots. You went to these places. There was usually a menu drawn out for the day. Sometimes there was protein, sometimes it was just a vegetable diet. You bought your food and then you brought it home. Isn't that? i'm a little mind blown would you like to eat some roman takeout? i'd like to try but this is indicative of this world it was a hard-working world after the job you would go to the thermopolium pick up some dinner and then go home to your apartment and eat with your family and that was the roman life for most people and the roman advancements in these city plans allowed that to be a livable life a life where they weren't trudging around in dirt a life where they had water clean water and bathhouses now, it wasn't amazing by any means. You know, there were always issues. But it was a decent place to live and to work in. And we're constantly greeted by these Roman advancements. And we haven't even talked about roads yet. The Via Romana, the Roman way, was a road system that spanned around the empire. And all of those roads led to Rome. There was literally a point in Rome that all roads led to called the Umbilicus Urbis Romai, or navel of the city of Rome. And all roads constructed were measured up to that point in the city of Rome. So wherever you were in the empire, you could read a road sign and say, okay, I'm X amount of kilometers from Rome. Because Rome is what you want it to be. Because Rome was the center of the world at that point. And all these roads were very well built. They were built slightly deep into the ground and they had a bunch of layers for water runoff. And sometimes they would cut through mountains and hills to keep the road nice and straight. If we look at this road system it's a web throughout the mediterranean and around it and it's so influential throughout time that if you overlay the modern highway system in europe over the ancient roman highway system they're strikingly similar and you see this intense webbing all around rome it's as if all roads still lead to rome and these roads serve as something great for trade Because traveling on a nice flat road is much faster than traveling over rough terrain. And it was very efficient for the army. Because the army could transport troops all around the empire much more easily. And the troops would be much less tired than if they had to hike over this terrain. And we see the same thing still reflected in our civilization today. Roads are a highly important piece of infrastructure. Just look at what Dwight D. Eisenhower proposed as president, the national system of interstate and defense highways so people can trade faster, so trucks can drive faster through states, and if need be, move troops much more easily around the country. A country that features millions of people across many different cultures, all working towards one ideal. And now you're confused. Am I talking about the USA or am I talking about Rome? Because they're not so different, are they? Because throughout this episode, we've been talking about a people that have instilled attitudes of representation and hard work into their civilization. And we can see that fact today because of the things that they left behind. They left behind beautiful pieces of architecture that work, that work towards a goal, whether it's an aqueduct to deliver water, or a bathhouse to bathe the population, or an apartment building to house all of your people. From Rome. We can learn more about our civilization where we are living now and how we're living in it how we use the infrastructure where we eat and where we sleep and hopefully we can use the mistakes of the romans to make ourselves better because the roman empire did fall it collapsed under its own weight it collapsed under people that wanted too much from it and then after the romans were gone People still looked up at the great projects that the Romans have completed, and they said, Only a giant could have built those. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Logs, a podcast dedicated to understanding. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes and find us anywhere you find podcasts. And please remember to laugh a little.